Welcome everyone to a very special edition in the Shared Ireland podcast series. Today Shared Ireland is delighted to bring you two of the main architects behind yesterday's open letter to Leah Varadkar and the Irish Government, where over 1,000 people from all walks of life and all parts of this island endorsed Ireland's Futures letter. Shared Ireland would like to welcome along Mr Niall Murphy and Jerry Carlyle. Welcome gentlemen. Thank you. It's a privilege to be invited to speak to Shared Ireland. I've listened intently to your podcasts and uh, it's a fantastic initiative and it's a privilege to be a guest. Very um, high praise coming from a man like yourself, Niall. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely echo what, uh, what Niall has said there. Uh, Shared Ireland is uh, contributing immensely uh, to the conversation and uh, very pleased and uh, it's a pleasure to uh, contribute as well. Thank you very much, gentlemen. That's appreciated. Niall, can I maybe come to you first? Um, can you tell our listeners the aims of the letter yesterday and also who is Ireland's future and what are your aims and objectives? And I suppose, why now? Well, just to take the question in three parts, Ireland's future has evolved organically over the past two years, I suppose, um, from quite literally citizens uh, who have a shared interest and concerns which we reposed uh, to the rights vacuum uh, as had presented uh, certainly in the north. Uh, That collective concern manifested itself in two letters to Antishak Leo Varadkar around the rights vacuum and then more recently last November uh, 1008 citizens wrote uh, expressing concerns about Brexit. Um, and, and really we have evolved from that to uh, island-based uh, advocacy, rights-based group, uh, which we collectively want to give voice to our concerns um, just about where Ireland finds itself today. Uh, we, we When you say island-based now, you have got, shall I call it even a sister group, is it, in the southern part of the island? So it's one collective organisation? Yeah, we've really, we've, we've, since the waterfront event in January, we have been contacted by many like-minded people in the south. We have attended many one-to-one meetings, many group meetings, and really the collective outworking of all of that uh, conversation, constructive debate, has evolved itself into one unified uh, steering group which uh, coordinated the uh, collection of signatories and delivered uh, yesterday's correspondence. Very good, very good. Jerry, can I just bring you in here if you don't mind? How did the letter come about? Well, I suppose all of this is about creating space uh, for conversation to take place. Mm-hmm. It's about um, addressing the the realities of the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, the reality that the people in the north um, are being dragged out of the EU against their will. Um, and the reality that uh, we are essentially uh, countenancing um, constitutional change on this island and that that constitutional change will happen uh, over the course of the coming uh, years ahead. So our our initiative is about creating that space uh, for those conversations uh, that need to take place, to take place, 
and um, in 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 terms of the most recent initiative, the 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 letter yesterday, um, that is about uh, asking and encouraging uh, the Dublin government to convene uh, a forum, an assembly um, of sorts that will give uh, an opportunity to all of those with an interest in the constitutional future of Ireland a space to contribute and a space to uh, uh, tell us what they see um, as their future. Tell us um, and I mean tell us all collectively, let's mm -hmm. speak collectively uh, as a unit. Um, tell us, speak about where you see your future. Uh, you know, we, we will at some stage have a referendum on Irish unity. Uh, we will um, have a scenario where some people in that referendum uh, will oppose Irish unity. And so it would be the right thing for us now to hear from those people why do you oppose Irish unity? Tell us what are the reasons for the opposition and if it does actually play out that Irish unity comes about, how do we ensure that those people who didn't vote for it feel comfortable and feel uh, essentially happy with the new constitutional arrangements? There, there's a plethora of... Um, of conversations to be had and essentially what we're trying to do is find that space, create that space for those conversations to take place. I absolutely could not agree anymore because I suppose that's what Shared Ireland is about, trying to get the conversation going, hearing from everyone from all walks of life and as you rightfully said Jerry, not everyone will agree but at least we can be adults, have a conversation, what what harm can that well, do? Well, well can I say this DNL? The, 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 um, the, the interesting thing around myself and, and, and now Murphy are out speaking to a lot of different places, a lot of, a lot of different people in a lot of different places. Um, my, my world takes me into, uh, you know, whether it's my professional world uh, or whether it's, uh, it, it's the sporting environments that I, that I would um, inhabit or whether it is, you know, even uh, my community, uh, you know, in South Belfast, uh, where I currently live, I'm speaking to people on a very regular basis who traditionally would have came from um, probably what would be called the unionist community or a union. Or they would have traditionally have had a unionist background. Yes. Um, increasingly, um, those people uh, and a significant section. Of, of those people are, are saying to me, Jerry, explain what this means. Explain to us what a new Ireland, yes. a united Ireland, mm -hmm. actually entails. Am I protected? You know, is my Orangeism protected? Is my unionism protected? My sense how, of Britishness. How is my Britishness? Mm -hmm. How does it play out yeah. in, in a united Ireland? And these are questions that need to be, maybe not answered, because who's got the answer to that, but debated and fleshed out. Well, there are questions that are being asked on a very regular basis, mm -hmm. and the reality of is of of the of the situation is that I can tell people what my views are in terms of how you protect all of those rights um, around um, uh, the, the unionist community in the north. But essentially, they need to tell uh, society 
I suppose, themselves, how they see that playing out. And then it is a job for uh, essentially the, the Dublin government, but also the London government, to ensure that under any new constitutional arrangements on this island, that, uh, that, that, that the, the million uh, people in the north that will be being brought into essentially a new state or a new country feel absolutely welcome, feel absolutely comfortable, and that w w what even if they haven't voted for it, and many will oppose it, that they are essentially content with the new dispensation. I suppose I just listened to you speak there, and it reminds me of Peter Robinson's remarks last year about, you know, while probably unionism, loyalism wouldn't want a new shared Ireland, but he did use the analogy of the house insurance and you know so I think you're 100% right everybody needs to be engaged in this Niall um, if I could just bring you in here again I, I, my question to Jerry was how did the letter come about I think it's fair to say that Ireland's future and your letter dominated social media yesterday I noticed people saying they would love to have signed the letter if they knew about it what can people do in the future Niall if they'd like to show I suppose their support and get involved well, in terms of the letter yesterday, certainly one thing that I would seek to highlight is the fact that two-thirds of the signatories were uh, based in the south. Uh, of the other third of the signatories, uh, perhaps as much as, as half of those, uh, I've a child doing the transfer test at the minute, so I don't want to get involved in trying to break up that fraction, but there was a great weight of signatories that came from the Irish diaspora in North America, in Canada, in Europe, in Britain, in Australia. Um, so this letter does represent um, the full uh, ambit of um, societal feeling. Uh, in terms of what we want to achieve, we, we genuinely do want the Irish government to convene a citizens' assembly, but we also wanted to ignite uh, a wider movement to ignite a debate that everybody can take part in and when you say what 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 can uh, the, the the person living in Kerry Cork New York or Gorda Hork do uh, to get involved there will be a series of initiatives going forward uh, we hope to have a formal launch before Christmas uh, we are mooting uh, a date of Thursday the 28th of November uh, we are in negotiations with a uh, significant uh, venue in Dublin and uh, when we have details confirmed of that uh, launch event we will certainly be in touch with your good selves uh, to invite anybody uh, along to attend to become part of the conversation to become part of the movement to uh, really develop all, all our conversations into uh, what will a new Ireland look like? Very good. Jerry, we'll just bring you back in here. I guess with most things in life, people will complain and criticise. One of these criticisms was there was no, I guess, outreach to unionism. How would you respond to that criticism, Jerry? By a few. Well, um, firstly, I think it's important to say that, that, that there this doesn't happen without, um, you know, uh, uh, the majority of the people in the north voting for it, and the majority of the people in the south voting for it in uh, in, in 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 two referendums. So, 
whilst whilst it's um whilst there might be some element of criticism around um uh, no outreach to unionism I, I don't i don't actually buy that um you know on a consistent regular basis there are numerous individuals groups organizations uh, reaching out to uh, those in our uh, society, in our community, of a British unionist identity, it happens on a on a on a, on a probably on a daily basis, where their opinions are sought, where their fears and their aspirations um, are sought, or we, we, we want to know exactly what they see as their uh, vision. I, I I think whenever you look at people like Senator Ian Marshall. Um, you know, and and even recently there we've had you know uh, Barnes, uh, Aileen Paisley, uh, uh, and Peter Robinson, you know, and others contributing to the conversation uh, around constitutional change. I I think that it is obvious that there are questions being asked from within um, the broad uh, unionist family, and, and and that is a very very broad family. No one party, uh, section, group speak for unionism, much in the same way as no one party, group or section speaks for those who want to see uh, a new Ireland. So therefore, we would consistently uh, encourage any conversations that would, um, uh, you know, firstly, uh, help in, 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 in reconciliation. And, and acknowledging uh, the hurt that has been caused uh, in society over the course of the last uh, number of decades here. Um, but secondly, from a very practical, pragmatic perspective, it is absolutely vital that uh, unionist voices s emerge um, in greater numbers uh, to tell uh, or, or to articulate the vision that... Uh, that those with a British Unionist identity have for uh, this island, this part of the island, these islands, if they so wish as well. I just think that it's vital that those people start to speak out in bigger numbers. Niall, more or less the same type of question to you, I suppose, as, as I said in my introduction, a leading light in the group Ireland's future. Have you personally or has your group reached out to unionism? And if so, what type of response have you got from Yes, we, we, we have. Uh, even before the Waterfront event, we had a series of private, respectful conversations with a group of uh, progressive, mature, uh, reasonable um, unionists who, in fairness to them, reached out to us. Uh, we, we met three or four times in private at Queen's University when we had a respectful exchange of views. Um, I'm not sure that there is the public confidence, perhaps, uh, within civic unionism uh, to come out and articulate a position uh, that might not be consistent with the messaging coming from political unionism, for example. And that's, I, I absolutely mean, not any sentiment of disrespect in that regard. But there is a groundswell of um, ordinary unionist people who are as repulsed by the position adopted uh, with regards to Brexit, for example, as 
anybody in the nationalist community that are as repulsed by the position adopted in relation to um, gay marriage, for example, that are as repulsed by the abhorrent and disrespectful attitude adopted to the Irish language. The Irish language belongs to everybody, and there are many within unionism who have a genuine warmth and embrace for that, and who, who don't see their position reflected in the public political unionist commentary. So it's about providing a space for that uh, opinion to allow itself to manifest itself publicly in a respectful, mature manner. You mentioned the words there, Niall, providing a space to give that opinion. If you were to look at um, today's Irish news and again across social media, apparently it's not okay for certain people to uh, give their personal views um, about Irish unity, a new Ireland, the shared Ireland, call it what we want. And I'm speaking here about Professor Colin Harvey, who shared Ireland had on our podcast not that long ago. Colin um, has come in for a lot of criticism from different quarters about giving his own personal views on what he wants to see for his grandchildren. Um, how do you feel about that? That's depressing. Um, I know Colin professionally, I know Colin academically, and I know Colin as a personal friend. I've got to know Colin as a personal friend. And he is <clears throat> an intellectual giant of our times. I feel that the aggressive, hostile manner by which he has been subject to personal and professional attack is abhorrent. And I, I, I just can't fathom uh, the small-mindedness to attack uh, public commentary in the academic space. Uh, academics are reflective of life. Uh, academics have political views. In the same faculty at Queen's University, the School of Law, David Trimble was uh, a lecturer for decades, and that's fine. Um, Paul Bew, Lord Paul Bew, who was the head of the School of Politics, uh, advised David uh, Trimble as Ulster Unionist leader uh, at the time of the Good Friday Agreement, and that was fine too. Uh, Dermot Nesbitt, also at uh, Queen's University, was the head of School of Management, and that's fine as well. Uh, academics, like lawyers, like medical professionals, like people in the media, uh, like teachers, people in the arts, in the sports sector, in our vibrant community sector, people have legitimately held aspirations and if they can articulate those in an evidence-based, respectful manner, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. I echo that. Jerry, Niall mentioned there um, about the Waterfront Hall. Um, earlier this year, Ireland's Future hosted a significant event there, bringing together, I suppose, upwards to 2,000 people. What is the feedback uh, you've got from that event? And I suppose, maybe, what was the criticism as well? Well, um, you know, there's, there's been a, a wide range of feedback. Um, we think that it was um, a very successful event. It, it afforded an opportunity for a conversation that um, was bubbling in the background um, to actually 
um, you know, take uh, a public a form or a, 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 a manifestation of that conversation and was the, the waterfront uh, event. You know, there, there were a, a wide range of, of voices. You know, whilst there, whilst there weren't any voices from political uh, unionism, there were certainly um, you know, unionists in the audience. And there, and there were, uh, you know, panelists from uh, what might be described as a unionist background. The, uh, you know, the the, the event has been, um, I suppose, a bit of a watershed in many respects. A watershed in the waterfront. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and um, and uh, and what it did was it give, uh, it gave great confidence to those of us who who who, who fervently believe in the merits of a new and united Ireland um, it, 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 um, it showed and illustrated uh, how, uh, how strong and how, um, how, uh, you know, how, how powerful essentially that, that, the, the, uh, that those citizens could be <coughs> in terms of an actual uh, public um, show uh, that they knew that if they came together in that way and that if they articulated in a very reasonable, rational mm-hmm. um, uh, fashion the merits um, of, uh, of a new Ireland, of a rights-based Ireland, that that argument could penetrate and resonate beyond uh, the waterfront and into uh, communities and broader society. So the purpose of that event was to ensure that the conversation took place in that hall on that day and then permeated through society. And to that end, I think that it was very successful. Speaking as someone who was honoured to attend and listen to uh, the event in the waterfront earlier this year, um, I think what you did is you opened it up, the conversation for the general public to come and listen and form their own opinions, I guess. Niall, um, I notice you nodding away in agreement with obviously everything Jerry said there. Have you? Uh, would you like to add anything about the waterfront event that you held in January this year? Well, I think that the waterfront was a landmark. Um, every strand of uh, political nationalism was invaded, and I thought that it was appropriate at that time that that be the forum that that we adopt. Um, we were. Delighted to be joined by the leaders of Northern Nationalism, certainly, and uh, whereas we had hoped that the leader of Fianna Fáil would accept our invitation, he delegated his attendance to the Deputy Leader, Dara Killeary, uh, who, who spoke articulately uh, and very persuasively with regards to his party's position. Um, the Irish government were represented by Minister Joe McHugh, but we also had uh, viewpoints f- from uh, Professor Jim Dornan, uh, who, who spoke on one of our panels. We had our, our views from the Green Party. Claire Bailey. Claire right. Bailey uh, was in attendance. Uh, we had views from young people. We had views from those engaged in uh, the Irish uh, language community. And what struck me was A, the physical attendance. Uh, having been involved in organising it, uh, booking the largest venue available for such a convention in the north, uh, we were somewhat 
uh, concerned that the room might look empty. Boy, it wasn't empty. There was standing room only. Uh, every single seat was taken. And looking at the crowd, uh, I've, I've never seen such a broad range of opinion and attendance in a single room before or since. And what it demonstrated was is that there is a broad civic church uh, that is interested uh, in a new constitutional arrangement uh, for our island. We we do have to we do have to get granular here at times as well. Um, we don't want to replicate the madness which has convulsed uh, the British body politic over the last three years. Uh, Britain's political establishment um, presented an ill-informed question to an unprepared population and weren't ready uh, for the consequences of it. It was abject recklessness within the right wing of the Conservative Party that David Cameron was attempting to uh, resolve once and for all. And in doing so, he brought the most egregious political gamble uh, to uh, as wide a society without understanding or caring for that's why I say it's reckless the economic or constitutional outworkings of that and there are constitutional outworkings that have had a ramification on this island mm -hmm. this island is about to be presented with some stark facts and we need to be ready for it we need to prepare for questions such as demographic change such as economic uh, interests for every citizen on this island. Um, if one looks at um, population statistics, for example, as one uh, reference point, and we only really have um, this the most recent census of 2011 to go from, but in the cohort above uh, 90 years old and older, so citizens that would have been or could have been here at the time of the partition of our island, at the birth of uh, this state. The statistics inform us, now these are census statistics, and the, the, the religiosity of it is crude, and I accept that, but those are the frames that the census use. Uh, it's over 90, it's 64% Protestant and 25% Catholic. That was the sectarian headcount that this state was founded on. Uh, if one looks at the same cohort under 12, and that's a, an age group close to my heart because all of my children fall into that. I coach under 12 hurling at my local club. I'm involved in uh, the Board of Governors of uh, Gale School, uh, a school which I helped set up uh, with others. And under 12, the statistics are stark. 34% uh, Protestant, down 30% from 64 and over 90 cohort and 45% Catholic, 20% up. So mm -hmm. in one lifetime, in the lifetime of a state, the Catholic population in the youngest cohort has nearly doubled, while the Protestant cohort has almost halved. We expect a new census in the 2021, 18 months away, will report perhaps a Catholic majority in this state for the first time ever. We already know from the last Stormont Assembly election on March 17, that unionism has lost the political majority uh, in Stormont. That was for the first time ever. So, 
you know, the children that will vote for a United Ireland have been born already. The census in schools, for example, tells us that uh, children sitting at school desks today are 51% Catholic and 37% Protestant. Um, the working age census tells us that the, the, the working population is 44% Catholic and 40% Protestant. The only, um, the only cohort in which there is a Protestant majority is over 60. So we need to get ready for the inevitable. And that's, that's one of the fundamental um, issues which informs our exhortation to the Taoiseach to prepare. Let's prepare. Let's get ready for the inevitable because it's coming and we're not ready. And it's madness to stick our heads in the sand and uh, hope that everything's going to be all right. Let's not do what Britain did with the ill-informed recklessness of Brexit. Let's get ready. Let's talk. Let's prepare. And and yeah, adding to what Niall has said, you know, there are economic realities. Uh, the fact that, <clears throat> that 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 the North uh, features at the bottom of every economic league table that you'd like to be top of, and the top of every economic league table that you would like to be bottom of, is something that we're going to have to take uh, serious stock of. You know, when you compare um, the North a hundred years ago to now, um, you know, it, 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 it essentially, uh, I think it was something like 80% of industrial output um, of the entire island came from the six counties a hundred uh, years ago. And, you know, I suppose northern entrepreneurs and inventors were at the forefront of the industrial uh, or, or, or industrial innovation. And you know, by nineteen eleven, so hundred and you know, hundred just don't just one hundred and ten years ago, Belfast was the biggest city in Ireland, and the northeast was by far the richest uh, part of the island. When you swap that uh, and look at the scenario that we now face a hundred years later, um, when it comes to uh, average wage, uh, GDP, population average disposable income, unemployment rates. I mean, the North is, an, is, is somewhere that simply is not performing economically. And as somebody who is in business and somebody who has been self-employed now for, for a, a large section of my, um, of my adult life, that, that is something that we need to deal with. We cannot leave uh, the next uh, generations uh, with the economic turmoil that we currently are going through and Brexit is compounding that economic turmoil. It is really up to us in this generation to ensure that we leave this part of our island in much better shape than it currently is. Uh, we, uh, uh, we believe that the best way to do that is uh, to um, look at continuing uh, the, uh, the all-island structures, the all-island economy, and ensure that we do absolutely everything that we can to face down Brexit. We understand that Brexit is a reality. Uh, we don't think there's any, any going back. Uh, but uh, Brexit uh, changes everything. And when you add 
the, the, the chaos of Brexit to the fact that the Northern uh, state, that, that, that Northern Ireland actually isn't working, then we have serious questions to answer. And I think that it's up to all of us collectively, right across this island and on our neighbouring island, if, if they wish to contribute as well, uh, to get involved in this conversation and to seek a better way forward for all of our people and particularly future generations. Just just to pick up on, on what Jared has said there, and he's thousand percent right uh, I think it would benefit all of your listeners to read in detail a report which was published in July just over the summer past by the ESRI the Economic and Social Research Unit uh, which is a sterile politically neutral uh, economic uh, research department which regularly informs the Department of Finance um, in the south and that report uh, advises or informs us that from the period 2000 to 2014, the income in the north grew by 7%, which in and of itself was similar to the border, midlands and western regions of the Republic. However, in the south and eastern region of Ireland, which obviously is Dublin and beyond, uh, and contains three quarters of our of the south's population, income uh, per capita grew by 30%. So in the north, we grew by 7%, and in the south, they grew by 30%. Mm-hmm. Now what that means in terms of um, cash in pocket to be crude is that there is a difference in our cash in our pocket of 25,000 euro. 25,000 euro as a irreducible economically robust uh, statistic. The partition has failed. Uh, we're coming up to 100 years uh, of the state and we need to draw breath understand and accept that Jared pointed out quite really the population of Belfast in 1911 uh, the, at, 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 the, at the census then was 380,000 whereas Dublin was a mere 300,000 Dublin's now four times as big as Belfast the south has exports of 283 billion the north has only exports of exports of 10 billion um, the Irish uh, I, I get the statistic from David Williams are twenty five percent richer or better off in their pocket than uh, the average British citizen. Irish income per capita grew from fourteen thousand euro in nineteen ninety five to forty thousand euro in twenty eighteen, a growth of one hundred and ninety two percent. England in that same time, or rather, sorry, the 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 Britain in the same time grew from twenty thousand pounds. In 1985 to £30,000 in 2018, a, a growth of 41%. So Irish growth of 192% with €40,000 in your pocket uh, to 40% growth in Britain and £30,000 in your pocket. Ireland's growing nearly five times faster than Britain per year. So independent of the demographic facts that are coming at us perhaps in 18 months, it is economic insanity to proceed and pursue uh, partition. Mm-hmm. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for that very uh, detailed um, analysis there. Now, I'm going to stick with yourself here, just moving on to this next question. Leo Varadkar famously said in response to a previous letter penned by Ireland's future that never again would an Irish government leave behind the people from the north. What, if any, feedback have you received from Leo Varadkar and the Irish government in response to 
that and other initiatives that you have undertaken? Well, we 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 appreciate that uh, the Irish government have had the diplomatic fight for the generation, certainly of this century, uh, to contend with in with regards to Brexit. We we appreciate and respectfully acknowledge that uh, the who has heroically performed in all of the best interests uh, of those on this island. Um, I'll, not, I'll not profess to say that there has been uh, an intense um, correspondence or relationship, but we have had uh, contact and conversation with um, senior figures in the Irish government and senior civil servants who have always acknowledged our representations uh, and we, we get a sense that there is a genuine acknowledgement of our uh, honestly held views. Um, ultimately, we are now moving forward to a different phase. Uh, the British general election will do what the British general election does and we will have to respond as a society uh, to that external influence and uh, decide how that informs our strategy going forward uh, on this island. Um, we, we, we have said it quite clearly what our view is. We genuinely believe that the most appropriate mechanism format uh, to effect uh, constitutional change in the first instance is a detailed citizen-based consultation uh, by means of the Citizens' Assembly. That's where the uh, marriage equality referendum came from. That's where the referendum on repealing the Eighth Amendment to the Irish Constitution mm -hmm. came from. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. we can only um, we, we we can we can only put forward that as as a respectful suggestion. I can't convene a Citizens' Assembly. Jared can't convene a Citizens' Assembly. Ireland's future can't. Shared Ireland can't. The only entity on this island that can do that is the Irish government, and that's why we feel that our correspondence yesterday of 1,088 signatories, each of whom influential in their own uh, sphere of life, does represent a effective uh, and persuasive sample of Irish society. And we hope and trust that the Irish government will listen to that in good faith. Jerry, leading on from what um, my question was to Niall, about Leo's remarks, never again will an Irish government leave behind the people from North. Have you got faith in Leo Varadkar and Simon, Simon Coveney um, moving forward to deliver on that promise and any potential other <coughs> promises that you may have got privately? Well, you know, as an Irish citizen, um, I'd certainly put more faith in uh, Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney than I would in uh, Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg and, and the other um, individuals who uh, are involved in the, in the British government. I think even possibly members of the DUP may agree with you. Well, well you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't appear you know, that Boris Johnson has much consideration for uh, any of the people in Ireland, um, whether that be North or South, Nationalist, Unionist or other. You know, even leaving aside uh, the Brexit 
conversation. You know, you're dealing with a government that will cripple our health service. You know, that will continually cut uh, the block grant. That will negatively impact um, on frontline public services. So, when you ask me, do I have faith in in Leo and Simon? Um, I look at the the current uh, uh, government in London, who who holds sovereignty over the jurisdiction that we live in, and I I ask myself how how in heaven's name are we in this position? Um, do I want uh, my government uh, to be uh, a Dublin-based government with uh, with concerns for all Irish people at its heart? Or do I want a government to be based in London, uh, uh, a government who appears to show very little, if any, concern whatsoever for any individual across the island of Ireland? How did you feel when you heard Leo say, speak them words, never again would an Irish government leave behind the people from north? How did you feel that day? You know, I am. I, um, I, I suppose that. For me, I hope that Leo Varadkar really, really means that. And um, I don't want Leo Varadkar uh, just to leave, uh, just not to leave the nationalist people behind. I don't want Leo Varadkar to leave any of our people behind. At a time when unionism has been abandoned uh, by uh, the British government, it, it, there has been no better time for a Dublin government to step up to the plate and to say to the unionist people in the north of Ireland, we want you, we care for you. You are our fellow citizens, our brothers and sisters in the northern part of this island and we will take care of you because the, Dublin, because the London government certainly hasn't. And I'm just re-reading his words here again. Never again will an Irish government leave behind the people from the north, not the nationalist community or the republican community, the people from the north. And as you rightfully say, that includes everyone. Absolutely, and that is the, that's the uh, centre point, that's the, that's the fulcrum, essentially, of this entire conversation. Niall, when the history books are written on Irish history, do you see Brexit as being the defining factor in the call for Irish unity? Um, as a passionate student of history um, I, I from a personal perspective in 2016 the first four months of 2016 uh, in communities throughout uh, Ireland communities were preparing for the celebration of the centenary of the 1916 raising uh, the Irish government convened an impressive array of uh, centenary celebrations uh, and I assisted in the, the, the preparation of our own and in, in our own community and at that time in April 2016 I don't think anybody uh, Republican or otherwise genuinely felt in April 2016 that they were very much closer to uh, constitutional change on this island than might have been the case in the 100 years previous. Nobody knew what was to unfold not three months later. 
uh, in June 2016 when the Brexit referendum was called and nobody knew or expected or anticipated that the issue of constitutional change on this island would be where it is today, where it is an actual debate, where it should be on the manifestos of every political party uh, at the upcoming general election next year uh, in the South. Um, it is now uh, a valid uh, political uh, issue and it is one which is, uh, I wouldn't say troubling, but is uh, on the minds of the uh, political spin doctors in the political parties in the South. And that's because of Brexit. Mm -hmm. Nobody in Ireland wanted a Brexit. Uh, n the people of the North voted decisively to reject Brexit. Uh, that Brexit is a economic and diplomatic act of self-harm uh, committed by the British people upon themselves is a matter of great regret. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg was mentioned a moment ago and he said that the economic benefit of Brexit might not be known uh, for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeffrey Donaldson is prepared to accept 40,000 job cuts at the altar of Brexit. Uh, I'm not um, and I am of the strong opinion that the vast majority of citizens on this island are not either and that I I passionately believe that a new constitutional uh, vision for this island uh, represents the best uh, economic interests and human rights interests of every single citizen living on this island. And that debate would not have occurred but for Brexit. Scotland is going. Scotland, I expect, will have its independence before uh, Ireland will in a holistic manner. Uh, and the the, the self-harm that Britain has effected itself in terms of its constitutional uh, integrity is as a result of Brexit. And it was the right wing of the English Tory party, uh, jingoistic English nationalism arrogance, uh, which has uh, given effect to this. And the response on this island is a response. Guys, we're 46 minutes into this podcast. And um, I'm just looking out through the window here and I see a queue of reporters uh, lining up to get speaking to you. So um, I will try and sneak another five minutes if I can. Jerry, can I come to you here? If you wouldn't mind maybe just going with me on this little journey, Jerry. Put yourself in the place of political unionism at the minute. If you were in their shoes, what leadership or advice would you be offering to your support base. Now I appreciate you don't speak for anybody else and you certainly don't want to try and speak for unionism but as I said at the start I would like you to just go on this little journey with me. Okay <laughs> well I suppose you know it's important for uh, for political unionism uh, to play its role in, in this conversation. It has a voice and that voice needs to be heard I, I, I would say you know please don't ignore what is going on at the moment in terms of potential constitutional change across this island 
no, please don't wish it away. It is a conversation that is happening. Um, be a part of it. Let's let's talk. Um, let's talk so that we can shape the future of this island together. Um, I think that divided as a people, we are weak, and together we are strong. So for me, this is about. Um, encouraging uh, political unionism to engage in this conversation you know listen even engage you know no one is asking you to do something you don't want to do but deal with the realities of the situation that we find ourselves in engage on your own terms talk to people talk out the 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 the, the the practicalities, the realities of the situation that we find ourselves in and let it be known and let it be clear that should uh, a new Ireland, a united Ireland um, take shape and take form, what are the important matters, what are the important things to uh, the unionist community and, and to political unionism, unionism as well. Should there be a referendum and should the majority of the people vote uh, for a new constitutional arrangement well in advance of that referendum let's have the conversation let's know what it is uh, going to take to ensure that all all uh, of our people um, are, are, are happy that all of our people are presented with the best opportunities um, that, that we fulfill our potential um, as an island and as a people uh, and I would encourage uh, political unionism to engage in that conversation and to engage in it uh, fairly quickly because this is moving fast and we don't want any section of our community left behind. Okay, thanks for that, Jerry. I have two questions left, guys. I'm going to ask the first one to Niall. Niall, what is the next step for pro-unity voices? What needs to be done to bring everyone on this journey? Well, let's. I, I, I would respectfully encourage anybody of a pro-unity mind to get behind Ireland's future. Uh, our, our next initiative <clears throat> is likely to be uh, a launch event in Dublin. As I said earlier, uh, we have uh, tentatively uh, examined the availability of a very significant landmark location in Dublin for Thursday the 28th of November. Uh, and I would expect to hope to confirm that certainly before the end of this week mm -hmm. and I would encourage everybody and anybody of any hue or political persuasion to come along to listen to get involved and to join the debate uh, and, and to move this uh, issue forward in all of our best interests Neen go Carla Kayla Jerry final question to yourself very short question but one that has got uh, I suppose nobody knows the answer to. Maybe you can shed a bit of light on it for us. When is the correct time for a border poll? Well, I suppose the conversation has evolved over the course of the um, last number of years. I um, I think it's very difficult to put uh, an exact date on it. Um, I think the more important uh, matter at the moment is that we plan and we prepare uh, for um, 
the eventuality of of a, of a new Ireland, of a united Ireland. Um, should the border poll take place in the next, you know, three three to five years, um, I I don't I don't want to name a date. I think that it's so important that all of us, um, collectively, uh, contribute to the conversation. But we're only citizens, you know. Yes, we have a voice, and yes, we have opinions on these matters. This will require uh, government um, uh, involvement. It will require the establishment of a, a citizens' convention, of a forum to discuss this matter. It will require uh, a white paper, just like the Scottish uh, produced. Uh, it will require um, constitutional uh, change. And it will require changes to uh, Bunrock and Ireland as well. The, the, these are the matters that we need to uh, discuss out. We need to work out the economics of a united Ireland. We need to have conversations um, ranging right across all the, various, uh, all the various range of issues and matters before we have uh, the referendum itself. Now, the problem with not engaging in those conversations and the problem with not preparing and planning is that sometimes a referendum can creep up on you and sometimes you can be ill-prepared and uninformed and that's exactly what happened during the Brexit referendum. Niall, um, you want to come in there I think on Jerry's question when is the correct time for a border poll? I don't want to be too uh, too inflammatic but I would respectfully propose a date for a border poll um, and I'm going to adopt uh, an analysis from uh, Professor Colin Harvey um, the 23rd of May 2023 represents uh, 25 years to the day from the vote uh, which gave democratic mandate to the Good Friday Agreement the Good Friday Agreement in, a, in itself has a legislative constitutional provision which gives rise to a border poll and 25 years is uh, a generation and by that time we will have the benefit of the 2021 census. I would hope and trust that we will have the benefit of an inclusive, mature uh, debate discussion um, arising from a citizens assembly. I hope and trust that we will have economic modelling informed by uh, resource and data that can only be assimilated by a sovereign entity such as the Irish government and I feel that um, I consent to reside in the United Kingdom uh, by 50% uh, plus one and I would hope and trust and expect that my democratic consent be uh, respected in the converse that if there is a uh, report that informs a majority in favour of both sides of this island uh, for, for reunification, then that should be tested. Let's 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 test it. Let's prepare. Let's talk, and then let's test it. And whatever the outworking is, we'll respect that too. Niall Murphy and Jerry Carlyle from Ireland's Future, shared Ireland, and our listeners. Thank you for your time today, and we'll speak again hopefully in the future. Jerry, I'm just going to give you one last opportunity. If there's anything you would like to finish up. I'd just like to say thank you. Um, uh, 
I think it's important that we have these conversations on a fairly regular basis and I would encourage as many people as possible to get involved. Last word to you, Niall. Uh, again, I would echo um, Jerry's thanks to yourself, Niall, and uh, to the Shared Island podcast. And uh, as soon as we are in a position to uh, present um, the date for our next uh, meeting, uh, we, we will make sure and uh, let you know and r report that to all of your listeners. That'd be great. And just that potential date, and I and I do emphasize it's only a potential date, will be Thursday the 20th of November in Dublin, you suggest? Yes. Okay, no problem. Thank you for listening, folks, and speak again soon. Bye-bye.